Welcome to Observations from Life. This is your host, Scott, and I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much for listening in. I don't really know how to do this particular podcast episode. This is my third start, and so... Oh, it's a tough one because between the time I did my last episode, which was July, and now I've had a bit of a family crisis. Um, that's not even the right way to put it. But I want to go back and talk a little bit about my dad and my mom. Um, last year... You may recall, if you listen to the episode, my mom died on my dad's birthday. That was October 10th of 2022. Uh, It was his 93rd birthday. No. Yeah. And um, I knew it was going to be difficult because it was the one-year anniversary. They'd been together for 70 years and... At the time she died, I remember thinking, why did it have to be on his birthday? But honestly, there's not a good time to lose the love of your life. And there's something special about celebrating his birthday while also celebrating their lives together, even if that's bittersweet. But what I wasn't ready for was on October 10th this year, on my dad's birthday, the anniversary of my mother's death, that... I was going to be going to a funeral home in Cedar Park, Texas to plan my daughter's funeral. Um, The week before, on Monday the 2nd, um, it was like any other work day. I'd gone into the office. I had meetings, answered emails. I even remember what I had for lunch. Went to Whataburger, which for me is not unusual, so that's not hard to remember. But uh, that afternoon, Damon, Emily's husband, called and said they were headed to the emergency room. She'd been sick. Um, She wasn't getting any better. And she finally reached a point she couldn't even get up. So they had to call an ambulance. And um, this came as a complete shock pretty much to everyone. Six days later, I'm holding her hand, stroking her face telling her I love her and that she's beautiful. And I'm also telling her that she's at peace now as I watched her take her last breaths. Unfortunately, there was no pain. There was no suffering. And later I realized as I sat and thought about it, I saw her take her first breaths when she was born. I watched them lift her out, she was a C-section, cut the cord, and enter this world. And then I saw her take her final breaths. I had no idea it would only be 32 years later that I would be watching my sweet baby taking her final breath and passing from this life. And it's heartbreaking. There are no words. Emily and I were buddies. 
I was looking back over the last few months of text, and we literally had hundreds, maybe thousands of texts. Some days, sometimes we had as many as 100 in a day. And we were in constant contact, talking about movies, life, just anything. And she told me once, I'll never forget this, she told me that she always knew and she felt comforted and felt like things were going to be okay when she saw that I had read her text or those little bubbles indicating I was writing back. She said it made her feel safe. She knew things were fine. And she often said she didn't know what she would ever do if something happened to me. And we had those father-daughter moments where she wasn't doing things like I thought she should or making the, quote, right decisions, but she was fiercely independent, and I love that about her. And just a couple of weeks ago, her husband shared with me, she uh, and he were coming, they were reading something, and the question came up, what would you tell your 12-year-old self? He said she immediately responded, listen to Dad and take his advice. In the hospital, when she was able to talk, she told me she loved me. I told her the same. And Audrey, her daughter, who's 12, came in. She recognized her and took her hand, told her she loved her. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to recover. And the next six days were a battle for her life. In the end, I was always there for her. Every call at 2 in the morning, crying about a boy, or a text at 9 in the evening to tell me about a movie she just saw, We shared a love for horror movies and weird movies. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later. And it always seemed like I could make things better. But this wasn't something I could fix. The best I could do was make sure that my voice, my touch, was something she experienced as she moved on to the next phase of her spirit's existence. So Emily left this life Sunday night, the 8th, which was also her daughter Audrey's 12th birthday. Again, such a bittersweet thing. Maybe some synchronicity that we'll find meaning in someday. I don't know. And in the midst of her passing, I was the one who sat Audrey down and explained everything to her. And I could see little characteristics of Emily in her face as I talked to her about her mother and assured her she was surrounded by a large, loving family, that she'd never be alone. And it's painful. I can't imagine how much pain Audrey is in, losing her mother. It's hard enough for me losing her as a daughter, but to be a 12-year-old girl whose mom is no longer here, it's just got to be gut-wrenching. And I'm sure that she is going to have moments, I know she will, where it's just going to slap her in the face or be like a kick in the gut. I've had quite a few of those. Emily and I, as I said, we texted all the time. And it's so weird to not wake up and have a text from her. Or I've got right now my phone, I've got this, this, you know, the picture, the like the um, cover, whatever you call it, the wallpaper is a picture of me and her. And um, every time I bump the phone or move it or it lights up, I think she's calling me. 
and then realize, no, she's not. It's, it's an unbelievable, surreal kind of feeling. You know, when my mom died last year, it was at the end of a very long life in which I felt like she had accomplished the things she came to accomplish. And she was, it wasn't a joyous occasion because my dad's still here and he misses her. But it was, it was easy to celebrate all that she had done and all the lives she had touched. When it's a 32-year-old and it's your daughter, that's not so easy. Although I do believe that I don't know. I believe there's things that can be learned. I'm going to share some of those with you because as much as I consider myself pretty independent and strong and everything, I had some surprises come from this. The first thing I want to talk about is empathy. After I sent an email out to my staff, letting them know what happened, I started receiving this outpouring of emails, hundreds, actually probably over 1,200 emails of people expressing their condolences, um, sending their prayers, sending well wishes, sending good vibes, just sharing their stories of loss, sharing how they have faced things themselves, and really giving me a lot of love and encouragement. And in many ways, it was it was interesting because some of the things they wrote are the very things that we often tell people not to say to someone who's had a loss. Like, don't say God has a plan. There's a reason for everything. He wanted another angel in heaven, those kind of things. And, you know, on paper, when I hear people talk about that, it does sound pretty horrific because it sounds tone deaf. And it sounds like you're not recognizing and acknowledging their loss. But I got to say, even the people that wrote some of those things that I have stereotypically said don't do, I realized it was coming from a place of love and it was coming from their heart that they stopped and took the time to just tell me they're praying for me. Their church is praying for me. I heard from Jehovah's Witnesses. I heard from Christians. I heard from atheists. Oh, and then when you expand this to Twitter or X as it's now called, I started hearing from a ton of people. Wiccans, witches, atheists, agnostics, very conservative Christians, fundamentalists, Buddhists, people who practice Judaism. I guess Jewish people could say that way, but it, it just was amazing to me because all of these people were sending me such kind things. People, fundamentalists that I had tangled with on Twitter that we had really gone after each other when it came to some of their viewpoints, cranked it back and said, hey, 
If you need anything, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. And I realized, you know, empathy, even people that seem to be the most hateful of people or people that seem to be the most out of touch. And I'm not saying that about Christians. I'm not at all because that's an, that would be a huge overstatement because I'll say most Christians I know are pretty damn good people. But some of those people that seem to never have a heart and they're on the far end of the, of the spectrum you know, of Christianity or whatever. Um, they found compassion. As I was hearing from these people, everything from, like I said, you know, witches that said, I've lit a candle for you or we're burning incense or Christians who said you're on our prayer list at church to Jewish people saying, uh, if you need someone to just sit with you, I can do that. I realized that when people can relate to others and their pain, when they can relate to them as human beings, when in some way it touches them in a way that they can personally understand, that's where empathy can come from. And I think a lot of times, oh, I had Trumpers, I had liberals. I mean, I'm telling you, it was amazing to me. And I'm like, how come we can't find, why do we have to wait until we can relate to someone? Why can't we relate as human people, as human beings, as humankind? There was a a radio host I used to listen to. He had a morning show in Austin, Dale Dudley. And he would talk about, like after 9-11, how much, everybody could relate to what had happened and how much we heard from people around the world. But then he would comment about when things would happen in other parts of the world, how sometimes we didn't seem to really have any empathy. So if there was like an earthquake in Haiti, which I was in the other side of the world, but you know, or, or, or something bad happened in some town we've never heard of, he would make this sarcastic joke and say, well, you know, they don't really look like us. Um, so we can't really relate to them, so we don't have to worry about them. And I thought a lot about that. I thought about how like something like Sandy Hook really hit me hard because those kids look like my grandkids, you know, or they look like my children at the time that something like that happened. And then when something happens, like I hear about you know, some city I've never heard of that I can't pronounce. They had an earthquake or, or you know, the things happening right now in, in Israel and Gaza and everything. Uh, why can't I, f- I should, and I'm learning to have the same level of empathy and compassion for those folks. Because even though I may not be able to relate to them because I don't really know them and I don't, I can't picture what their life is like daily. And I, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to understand because their culture may be so different or whatever else. The reality is we all have this common bond of being people, you know, parents and grandparents, children, husbands, wives, you know, whatever. We all share this. And to find empathy, to find that common bond is a game changer, it's just that it shouldn't take a tragedy like a 9-11 or a death of a daughter or something like that for people to finally come around and say, oh, I can relate to this. I can, I see now what this person's going through. 
we should be able to do that anytime because we're all people. I think a lot of it is finding your way, finding who you can relate to. And then as you grow in that sense, you find that your tribe, for lack of a better term, gets larger and larger. And that's where you can start really finding that there's a lot you can you have in common with people that's more than just one or two things. And I'm going to give an example. And, and, and really, this, this was a huge part for Emily. This was big. So Emily, um, first of all, I showed her probably to this moment, if she's listening right now, is going to laugh. I showed her the movie Poltergeist when she was like, I don't know, five years old. It's probably not the best decision ever made. She was a little blonde girl. She looked a little bit like the kid in the movie. I didn't remember Poltergeist being that scary because, you know, like you see it as an adult and or when you don't have children and you're not looking through their eyes. It's kind of like when you watch a movie um, that has maybe a sex scene in it or bad language or whatever, but you're not thinking about that. And then later you're showing it to your parents or to a kid or to whoever. And then you suddenly realize, Oh shit, I forgot that part was in there. Um, even like Forrest Gump, it's got some pretty, you know, uncomfortable scenes to sit and watch with an eight year old. Uh, but you forget those things sometimes because you're not watching it through their eyes. Anyway, uh, as much as I may have terrified her as a child, Emily grew up to be a huge fan of horror movies, and we shared that. We loved horror movies and weird movies and unusual stuff. And um, so she, I, I had started going to Fantastic Fest, which is a film festival here in Austin, uh, back in 2008. And Fantastic Fest is the best festival you can possibly go to for horror, fantasy, sci-fi, Asian um, Scandinavian, other types of movies that are unusual and weird, and that's what they kind of, that's their thing. But the thing about Fantastic Fest that really makes it amazing is not just the movies, it's the people. The people that gather there. Because quite frankly, it's, it's people I can relate to. It's a bunch of nerds, movie nerds, maybe other types of nerds. Um, people that have this common bond of this is what they love. And once you get past the industry people and the film people and all that, and you get down to just the people that are attending, what you find is that you have people that have found a common bond and they share that with each other. And that is where growth comes. That's where empathy comes because people start realizing, oh, I don't just enjoy movies along with this person. I also like this activity or that one, or I enjoy just conversation. Um, I know a person that was uh, a trans woman who came out for the first time at Fantastic Fest because she knew it was a safe environment. Well, Emily became a part of Fantastic Fest. Uh, there's a Facebook group that was created called the Fantastic Fiends. It's a play on the word friends. Uh, I used to be on there when I was on Facebook, and um, Emily was also very active on that page. But there are so many people there. Like over the years, as Emily 
went to Fantastic Fest and met people, she found like she came into her own. Emily was a little bit of an introvert. She wasn't always real outgoing. She ne- definitely did not like going into new situations or anything unusual without kind of having a a sidekick or somebody there with her. And I remember the first time she went to Fantastic Fest, she kind of drove me a little batty because... You know, she was kind of, you know, right with me, wanted to know what movies I was picking. So we went to the same ones because there was a level of, of uncomfortableness for her until she settled in and really found, um, you know, got, and until she was used to it, which didn't take long because she started meeting people there and finding these people and she just flourished. And in fact, one of our jokes that we um, laughed about is that, it went from Emily being my daughter at Fantastic Fest to where I would meet people and they would say, oh, you're Emily's dad. Because she became such a part of that. She found her tribe. She found her people. That camaraderie there, you know, I talk about, I've talked about on here before about Liverpool and their, you're, you'll never walk alone being there. Uh, the song that they've attached to, but it's also the culture that they are. And that they really embrace that as a as a fan base, as a team. You're not alone in this, and you'll never walk alone. And in fact, um, when I received a text from one of um, my friend, well, it's a coworker, but I would say friend, who's also a Liverpool fan, when he texted me to express his condolences about Emily, he put in YNWA. You'll never walk alone. And Fantastic Fest has that same vibe. Um, it's got this, this grouping. And what I found was when news of Emily's health at first, and then ultimately her passing got out to the Fantastic Fest people, there was this huge outpouring of love and comments. People were sending me screenshots from the Facebook page and people sharing stories about how they met her and funny stories about her. And I also had people at work that were sending me stories about her. And it was like things I didn't know. And it was so amazing to just get that. But it goes back to that love, empathy, and compassion. People just are caring when they choose to be. And in this case, these are people that are generally caring most of the time. But I found it in so many places, and there was so, and I thought there are hundreds and hundreds of people who are all expressing so much care and stopping and grieving with me and grieving with my family. And in fact, one of the things we did, I set up a GoFundMe because I wanted to not have Damon um, saddled with the medical expenses, the medical bills that eventually come and the cost of, of the funeral expenses and everything. And so I set up a GoFundMe and, and I said, you know, if we get any extra, you know, that can go to Audrey. Um, so we'll pay off the medical, pay off the funeral, and then Audrey's got the rest. Uh, it can be put in a CD or it can be used for her, whatever purpose. I um, could not believe the number of people that gave and the amount of money that was contributed we raised over $20,000, I think in less than a week. And what I saw was I saw people from Fantastic Fest. I saw people from my work, which I tried to keep it from getting out at work because I didn't want people to feel like they needed to give because I'm the boss or whatever. But a lot of my coworkers and peers and others, one of the more interesting ones, <laughs> we're in a lawsuit at work and I was supposed to be deposed 
uh, during the week that this all happened, and so the deposition got put off. The opposing counsel, the one that was going to depose me that's for the other side, gave money and put a nice note in there. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is just so amazing that we're enemies in a lawsuit. Um, some people consider me an enemy of their religion. Uh, some people probably just consider me a pain in the rear. But at that moment, there was a unified purpose, and that was people wanting to come together in support and love with their words, with their deeds, with their actions, with their money, with whatever they could do, just to make it clear that they care. That's the kind of empathy we need all the time. I need to care about the people that are at war in the Middle East. I need to care about people that are starving in other countries as well as ours. I need to care about people that politically were on opposite sides of the spectrum. I need to care about people that are hurting, even if it's their own doing, even if it's something that I'm like, well, you know, you could have made better choices. Well, that doesn't matter. The person's in pain. That's where empathy comes from. And it's really kind of my mission. You know, one of the things that I hope to do as I move this podcast forward um, is to really highlight love, compassion, and empathy. I think I've spent enough time um, talking about where I came from. I know that if you go back and you go through my podcast episodes, you'll see a lot of discussion of Christianity, sometimes in a positive light, sometimes in not so positive a light, sometimes in a very negative light. And it's like, okay, you know, I can keep talking about my past and how I was raised and how I think things should be different or whatever, but what am I doing now to try to make this world, to have people feel like I felt supported and loved and cared for? You know, how can I do that and how can I encourage others to do the same thing? Again, I can't even, I had people writing me that I'd never heard of that said that they knew Emily from, uh, there was another group. It had, it was a master pancake theater. It's a thing they do here in Austin. And she was very active there. And they said, do you mind if I put the GoFundMe over there? Because I know a lot of people interacted with her and I got emails. I got instant messages. I got text. I just, I can't exaggerate what it means to have people reach out. Now, the one thing that's a little tiring, and this is going to be my advice to any of you that are trying to comfort somebody that's had a big loss, is, um, and if you know them well, you go with your intuition. But if you don't, um, don't have them, don't ask questions like what happened. Because they probably have already had to tell the story about 20 times, and it's exhausting. So instead, just tell them, I'm thinking about you. Tell them I'm praying for you if that's what you do. And trust me, uh, you know, as much as you'll read on Twitter and other things about what the extremists claim about the opposite 
people. I guarantee you there's no atheist or agnostic or any other person that's not necessarily a believer in the supernatural or a deity that's going to be offended if you say I'm praying for you. Trust me on that. If it comes back I'm wrong, I'll I'll clarify it. But honestly, the the things that people told me, I knew it came from their heart. I didn't care if they were praying to a god or a statue or lighting a candle or burning incense or holding hands or sending vibes. You know what I cared about? That their heart was reaching out to my heart and that we were connecting on a personal level and they were feeling my pain along with me. That made all the difference in the world. And that is the key. That's how we survive as a, as a humanity. That's how our country's going to survive. It's how our world's going to survive. It's when we see each other as people and that we don't have to wait until something bad happens to unite us. We can be united now. And I think that's so important. It's something that, that really is, like I said, it's on my heart now because it, it, now that I've experienced this, I want to do something with it. I want to find a way to help people to feel close to each other, to be tied together, to quit, you know, and it's so funny because I, I had actually been in the middle of a little bit of a debate um, on Twitter. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. I know it's called X. Um, when all this broke out and the person that had written me back um, their argument I wrote and said, I don't have time to deal with this right now. And um, they popped off. And um, because they were operating on the assumption that I didn't have a response. And somebody else pointed out his daughter's in the hospital dying or has been getting a 5% chance to live or whatever. And um, so maybe you want to cut them a little slack. Something along that lines. And this person responded back, yeah, he's probably making that up. And I thought, you know, what a sad existence that you think somebody would make up their daughter's dying because you're trying to make some point on Twitter and they're winning and you think that they would make something up like that because you don't have a response. That's sad. That's, it, yeah, it's, it's a hateful action, but it's coming from a place of, I don't know, pain, neglect, something. And I've been trying to read more behind people's comments when they get that way and thinking how sad it must be. I remember, and I commented on this the other day on, my, um, on Twitter, I said that... Um, somebody was commenting about a particular person that does post a lot of things that are pretty harmful, harmful toward others. And I had said that it's that I agreed, but I also said, can you imagine what, how sad their life must be? Because if they've reached this point that they have no joy 
and I'm trying to find it. I'm scrolling on my phone. So my apologies for dragging this out for a second, but I think I said it better when I, here it is, I found it. I said, yeah, it's the horrible way she treats others and leads them into horrific conditions that makes it hard to feel much for her. Oh, I started with, have you ever stopped and thought about how sour and miserable she must be? Talking about this other person. I said, all the time. I know she does great harm to others, but I'm also kind of sad for her. She pours her misery out on everyone. I wonder if she'll ever find peace or if this is just it for her. And the person wrote back and said, I feel sorry for her too, a little. And I know I'd feel a lot more sympathy if she weren't so hell-bent on forcing all women into her own misery. And this is my response. I said, yeah, it's horrible the way she treats others and leads them into horrific conditions. That makes it hard for it, that makes it hard to feel much for. Her. I remember when Rush Limbaugh died. Some people were practically dancing on his grave. Then I read where one person said what a tragedy it was that he had such a large platform and following, but chose to use it for harm instead of good. They saw that as a true tragedy, a life and talent wasted. And so I think sometimes if you have a person that you know that's particularly mean or cruel or hateful or just seems kind of lost or they don't seem to have a lot of empathy for others, think about what life they must have behind the scenes that is so miserable or insecure or or whatever's going on that they're unable to really just be human with people, be comfortable with people, be vulnerable with people. Because, you know, being vulnerable is tough. Um, I spoke at a conference last week, and um, this also goes back to the grieving piece. There's times when I think I'm okay, and things sneak up on me. Um, I was telling a story that I had told probably five, six, seven, eight times to this pretty large group. I don't know how many. I think 400 people registered. I'm not sure how many were in the in the building. Probably a couple of hundred. But in the middle of it, I, I, I heard it differently because I was hearing it now through the lens of someone whose daughter just died. And I had to stop talking and take a breath. And I said, I'm going to get emotional here for a minute because of what happened. And I gathered myself and I continued on. And um, I think I did okay. But I, a lot of people were sitting in that audience, seeing me at my most vulnerable. And they were very kind. And I got emails later from people saying, you know, how wonderful they thought it was. People came up afterwards and talked to me and expressed their condolences again. And, and it's one of those things where if we can be vulnerable in our pain, instead of put up this mask of anger or hatred or strength even, because you can be vulnerable, vulnerable and be strong. But if we can find a way to do that, then I think that's the first step to really expressing that empathy. Because when people are vulnerable and they show who they really are, that's when you start connecting with them. So yeah, it may still be hard for me to fully grasp the pain that some people are going through 
whether it's in other parts of the world or even in this country, because there's things that we, you know, we have nothing that I know of in common other than we're human beings. But I think that if we can find a way to be vulnerable ourselves, I think other people, and yeah, there's predators out there, and there's people that are going to be, you know, whatever. But I think if you see through that facade and realize they're just not ready to show their vulnerabilities yet, but they're a person, they're a person that's, that's living a life that has driven them to be online raging and angry. You know, what must their home life be like? And what can I do to maybe help break some of that down? Maybe I don't need to get that zinger in every time. Maybe I don't need to win every argument. Maybe sometimes I just need to hear them and let them share their journey. And I've been practicing that some. Now, if you go get on my Twitter timeline, you're going to see a mix of me being a complete smartass and me at times really expressing to people, you know, kindness and how they got where they're at. There was one particular person that was just hammering me the other day. Um, They're a Calvinist and they were telling me, you know, their opinion and position. And I looked at their on their um, profile and they've been a Christian for a year and they were using a lot of very lofty um, um, theological phrasing. And I thought there's no way in one year they learned this. They're either cutting and pasting or somebody's, you know, they're reading things and they're trying to take this in. And that's when I realized they're just trying their best too, you know? And so I, I wrote the person, I said, I'm glad that you have found something that resonates with your heart and that it helps you be closer to the divine. It's about as nice as I could be about it. They wrote back and said, I shouldn't be glad because I'm an enemy of Christ and all this other stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. Because I wrote back and told them, I know this is coming from a place of sincerity. And honestly, most people, not all, some people may be just coming from a place of, you know, they want to abuse others. But most people are just trying to figure it out. And, they don't know what to say. Now, I know I'm all over the place because I really wanted to talk about Emily and about some of the wonderful things that she found in her life and some of the things she gave us. So I'm looping back now. Emily was really funny. She was very sarcastic. She had a very dark sense of humor. It's probably why she liked some of the weird movies she did. You could not have a comedy that would be black enough in its humor uh, that she wouldn't appreciate. Um, she was delightful. Um, I just, you know, she, she's one of those people that... <sighs> I think growing up, it was a little hard for her. She was introverted and she wasn't always self-assured. And I think her lack of self-confidence often at times made things a little harder for her. But boy, when she found herself, she found it big. And she did in several ways. Again, I mentioned Fantastic Fest because she found herself there and she became a part of that culture she became a part of those people and they were hers. That was her tribe. And you know, when you find that, it's just amazing. 
And I'm so thankful for that festival and for the people there because they meant so much to her. She also found love with Damon. And that love, and I said this at her, at her funeral, I said, you know, he loved, loves her in the way that a father wants his daughter loved. And he, he does. I, it's hard for me to know whether to talk about her in present or past tense. Um, because I know that the soul is eternal. And I mentioned this also in, in her, I guess it's a eulogy, whenever I spoke, you know, that I know the soul's eternal, but I have to finish this chapter of my life without her. And that's tough. But I was going back and looking at pictures and stuff I have of her from Christmas or from other things. And we have a lot of selfies we took together. And, you know, she just was a goofball. And she was funny. Um, I wish I had more videos because the pictures are good, but they don't capture that personality. Um, When she had funny things to say or she'd roll her eyes. She made fun of me a lot. The Shacklins all make fun of each other. So that's kind of how we... That's kind of our love language, I guess. And she she did. But she was so proud of me. Like at work, she always bragged on me. And, and I even had people telling me that during the period that I was retired, before I came back, she would come down there and see them. And she would talk about me. And I love that. Um, when she was happy, she was just so joyous. And there were times, you know, when she wasn't happy, it was hard as a father to watch her struggle with some of the things that she did. You know, I loved her dearly and I wanted to fix everything. But, you know, it's hard because when somebody's, I mean, I don't know when I figured me out. I think I'm still figuring me out. But, you know, if my life had ended at 32 and that's the only picture people had of me, um, they would probably remember some of the dumb things I did. Um, They would also remember some of the fun things I did. But, they wouldn't have gotten to see the rest of my development as a person, as, as a human, as, as a spiritual person, as whatever. And that's really the one thing that makes this a little hard for me is Emily was really just coming into her own. I mean, because nobody in their 20s, I mean, we all just fumble around. But she was really embracing her home life, she was cooking, enjoying doing that and taking care of the kids. And she and her their house was like a zoo. There were children there all the time and more coming. Damon has kids and they were there and, and um it just it was a lot. And she loved them. She loved them. She talked about them all the time. About Damon, about Nate and Amelia. Um she talked about Audrey, obviously. And her dog, she talked about that damn dog. She loved that dog. Um, she just had a lot of things that, you know, she wanted to share and had that. And I just, you know, it's tough not getting to get to see that continue to develop and grow. But um, this this was what her time was, you know. Um, I remember when she was young, she had a spiritual side to her. I don't think people knew that a lot of times, but when when she was little, um, like if we went to church, I was a big church goer, obviously. And when I was going to the Orthodox church, she loved the Orthodox services. She loved the prayer book and she loved the incense and all that stuff. And I think part of it was Emily loves structure. If you were trying to plan something, like if this is like November the what, I'm looking at the day here, today's November the 5th. Um, 
if I said, hey, in February, we're going to do something, she would already start asking what's on the menu, where are we going to meet, what time, uh, how are we dressing? I mean, she was a planner to a fault. It drove me up the wall. I'd be like, I just want to be spontaneous. But no, she wanted to plan everything out. And she that's how she always did things. And it was kind of humorous. Um, but yeah, that was something that she was really into. And so uh, we made fun of her, of course, for it. Because I knew the minute I said like, um, like the reminder in October about Christmas, she would automatically, what's going to be on the menu, you know? Um, she, I don't even know where I was going with that. But um, she always really looked for, oh, 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 um, church spiritual side. So I think what she loved about the Orthodox Church is you had a plan. The divine liturgy is very set and it's very clear what it is. And you follow a pattern, you follow through the prayers and all that. And I think that that touched that piece of her that liked that. Um, But she also, she loved going. And, um, you know, later as we talked, she and I had talks about spirituality and you know, she wasn't really quite sure where she landed. She kind of bounced around between agnostic and, you know, not sure and things like that. And But I know that she, um, she knew there was something bigger than just where we are. And she didn't always articulate that, but she knew. And um, she knew that I believed that and we talked. And I don't think she was just entertaining me because I think she would have told me. Uh, and even when I do tarot readings and stuff, we would talk about things like spirit guides and things like that. And and she really, you know, I think that that was a, a part of her. And uh, it was down in there, and I think it would have been interesting to see how it grew and where it went. But but that journey has not ended for her because her soul is still alive, and she's got things to do. And and. I'm going to do a part two to this to talk a lot more woo-woo because the part I'm not telling you is um, because I have, I think I have a mixed audience. I've got some people on here that are not going to be interested in hearing all about the woo-woo stuff. And then I have other people that love it, but I wanted to really talk about this piece with Emily and empathy and people and the more kind of grounded things in this first episode um, the second one, I'm going to talk about the the readings that I did every day while she was in the hospital, except one, um, with both tarot and oracle cards, and how amazing what the messages I was getting was, was as well as the one I did after her passing. And I'll also talk about a dream she came to me in. So, going to get into the spiritual stuff because it's a big part of who I am and I'm convinced that she had some things to tell me and she's communicated some things since then. So that'll be part two. I think, and this is probably, you know, just me trying to figure out what can happen from here that the things that Emily was growing into, and again, on part two, I'll tell you where she's going because I got insight on that, um, how that can be perpetuated um, 
by me because of what I learned during this period. Number one, I learned, and I've said before, I I try to have empathy. I'm not great at it. That's going to be one of my main goals is to really learn to feel a lot more empathy for people, regardless of who they are and how they act. Regardless of whether or not there's something that I can benefit from it or not. And to really have love and compassion for people. Because we are a broken world. People hurt. People are in pain. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of life out there that's hard. And I don't think I have any business making it harder for people. I don't think it's my place to make it where after somebody's had an interaction with me, they're embarrassed or they're hurt or they're not feeling encouraged. I think it's my job. It's my mission. It's my calling to carry on this message that I got from all those hundreds and hundreds of people. Again, from everywhere, everywhere from, you know, super far right to super far left politically, from super religious to not religious at all, from just every walk of life, male, female, trans people, um, you know, everybody. I, I, I can't even think of the number of people that I've heard from that all had the same message. They didn't say the same words, but they had the same message. And that message was, I'm hurting for you. I'm thinking about you. I want to comfort you. You mean something to me. And I want to express that in some way. I can't think of anything better than that. And I can't think of a higher calling than me trying to somehow take all of that love and all that empathy and all that compassion that I received and give it to others and find a way to do that and honor Emily at the same time. So I've got some things I'm working on. Number one is I've started, well, even since my last podcast episode, um, I wrote a prayer book. Uh, It's on Amazon. It's called Soul Encounters. Uh, You can find it pretty easily if you have um, Kindle Unlimited. It's free. Uh, If you don't, you can feel free to buy it. Um, If you want a signed copy, you can send me an email or send me a message on the webpage and I'll um, figure out how to get something to you. But it's, it's really a book that I wrote because I wanted to, I could not find a book that reflected prayer from a panentheist point of view. And I talk about panentheism, as you know, way back in my episode about who or what is God. And so I, and I love prayer books. And so I decided to do this one. And um, Emily was really proud of me. She liked it. Um, But I'm working on a second book that's really kind of the heart of this um, love and empathy and compassion. It's, it's a children's book. And I started it because one of my grandchildren was so impressed that I wrote a book at all, even though the prayer book is, you know, what it is. Um, she took it to school. She showed it to her teachers and she was reading it and she's eight years old. This book was not written for eight year olds. I mean, it's, it's 
you know, she's very smart, by the way, so she wouldn't have any trouble reading it. But at the same time, Audrey, who's 12, Emily's daughter, has been exploring her spiritual path. Uh, She started going to church. And Emily had told me about that. And I thought, you know, I want to write something that both of them can relate to in some form or fashion. So it's kind of an in between. It's not a it's not a chap it's a chapter book, but it's kind of that middle school age. It's not written. It's not just a, a illustrated like a, a Dr. Seuss book, but it's going to have a lot of illustrations. And it's about a little boy, um, basically, who goes on a, a journey of sorts. I guess it's allegorical. It's kind of. I'm not a writer, so I'm learning, you know, is this an allegory or are you telling a story that's happened to this kid? I've got an editor that's helping guide me. But basically where he has these paths he chooses and he learns something on each one of them. And it really centers around this concept of love, empathy, and compassion and imagination and other things. But um, I was writing it when, when this happened with Emily, when she passed, So I'm going to finish it. And I don't know if the only people that get it will be the grandchildren or if, you know, it'll take off and a ton of people will read it and be touched. My goal isn't to make money from it. I have a job and it's fine. My goal is just to get this out there, put it out in the universe. And if there's somebody that it can help, somebody that can benefit from it, whether it be a child or an adult. I've written in a way that anybody can relate to it, that they will, it'll resonate with them. And if I have to go around and give free copies to libraries, I'll do it. I just, what I want is to get this done because it is important to me that this concept of us finding, doing introspection, looking at ourselves and finding ways that we can help others and be good people. That we can be loving and caring and kind. That um, this maybe helps do that because it's the only way that our world is going to move forward. It's the only way that people are going to find a way to evolve. It's the only way spiritually that we can survive. And so that's part of my goal. Um, the other is with Fantastic Fest coming up next year, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to do something at the festival that will um, give some honor to Emily, whether it's um, doing interviews with people or being a sponsor because it's important. To, you know, it was something that she loved and I would love to sponsor it in some way or have an event or whatever. I've, I've had a couple of emails with the festival director and we're going to talk, but I want to do something because all of those fiends, those people that were part of her group that she found herself because of them. Um, I want them to have an opportunity to be touched in some way. And I want to be able to do that through the festival and maybe afterwards. So this podcast is probably going to take a little bit of a turn. Um, I think it's always been about trying to find kindness and, and people's journeys and stuff. But I really want to find a way to be less critical of those that are doing things differently 
and more empathetic and loving towards them. And I hope that you will join me on that journey because I think together, if we can find ways to just do what's right every day in our lives, and most of us know what right is, and and that doesn't mean there's not going to be moments that we have to stand against a bully when they're harassing someone and stand in strength with harsh words to try to stop. But it also means we don't need to go picking fights or picking arguments just to win. And so that's, I don't know, that's what I'm hoping I can do. Um, I have said before that, I think I've said it on here, when I did my research with the tarot, one of the things that I really resonated with was the the hermit, that particular card, because it's somebody that's exploring their spiritual journey, exploring their paths and trying to, um, the, you know, they've kind of, it's, it's an introspective self-awareness and really looking at what they can do um, to um, develop and grow spiritually. And I love that. But I think since that time that I had that, I've got, I've done a lot of training and a lot of study with, um, for example, crystal singing bowls and how to do sound baths and um, the vibrations and how you can use those with guided meditation to really help, uh, you know, whatever phrase you want to use, align your chakras, get you where you're vibrationally in a better place help you to heal old hurts, to let go of things that have harmed you, to move forward. And, and I've, I've been training on that. I've been learning it, and I've been integrating it into my psychology background. Uh, the tarot readings, almost every one of them have that I've done with people have ended in tears because they're touching. You're touching people's souls. You're touching their their fears, you're touching their hopes, their dreams. And it's, it's, it's more than a game. It's really about connecting with people. And so as I've been doing this and studying past, you know, past life regressions and studying um, what's next and how we can strengthen ourselves and how we can make the world better, this spiritual revolution that Rain Wilson and Soul Boom says we need, for example, um, I feel like I've kind of moved from the hermit to maybe the magician, which the magician in the tarot is someone that has mastered a lot of things. And I'm not going to say I'm the master of everything, so don't don't think I'm getting too full of myself. But they have studied and they've they they have you know learned spiritually things that they need to share with others. They bring heaven down to earth, but they also stay grounded. And I feel like that, you know, my life started, if you know about me, as a Baptist preacher at age 17 as a minister. I always knew I was going to be in a ministry. And I feel like that hasn't changed. What has changed is what I've learned along the way and how to carry that out. And I'm hoping that that's going to come forward in this podcast as I continue to share my journey with you, share my experiences with you, and I want to be vulnerable. 
I want to be able to tell you, for example, about experiences I have that some people are going to make fun of because they're going to say, um, there's no such thing as that. There's no such, I've been told, you know, I, I posted one day about spirit guides and I mentioned that, um, who I call to, I call my spirit team and, and who they are. And, um, somebody reposted it and their followers had a heyday with it. That made fun. They thought it was stupid. Um, some of them were nice, but most of them were not, you know, and I just kind of joked back with them because I thought, you know, this is not something I'm that worried about. And so I was just real kind about it. Um, and made little jokes back and because it's okay. I think if you put yourself out there, you need to be open to criticism and be open to laughing at yourself because it was kind of, you know, goofy to put that out there in a, in a, a tweet and see what happens, but I did. So, you know, I'm going to be open about things that are going to make some people uncomfortable or they're just going to call bullshit and that's okay. Because everybody has their own journey and their own way of getting there and their own way of learning. And all I can do is share my experiences because those are where I'm an expert. I'm an expert on what I've experienced because it's my life. I see it. I felt it. I've heard it. Um, I'm not really an expert on anything else. I know a lot. But the only thing I can really share expertise in is my personal experiences. And by the way, every one of you are also experts on your own personal experiences. That's how it works. So, okay. Um, probably not my most upbeat episode, but hopefully one that tells you a little bit about where things are. If you are the praying type, if you're the send good vibes type, if you're the well-wishing type, if you're the just think about it type, whatever your thing you do to help others, uh, send them send them my way and send them to my family and especially Audrey, who is got to navigate this whole experience um, as a 12-year-old. And... I think if we're all doing that, if you're doing that for us, then that empathy, that compassion, that love will shine forth. And I think it'll make a difference. So I'm going to wrap this one up. And my next episode, which is going to be a part two, is probably going to be a little bit more upbeat, maybe, maybe not. But it's really interesting and fascinating for those of you that like the woo-woo stuff. I've got some wild things to share about the communications that I was getting during Emily's hospitalization and what I got after her passing from this life and also what it was like at the moment that she left. And um, I'm going to be thrilled to share that. I just want to allow people that um, find that off-putting. I didn't want that to distract them from the story of um, Emily and what I learned um, from all of you. So until next time, thank you for listening and take care of yourself, take care of each other. And if you got somebody out there you love, give them a big hug. Thank you.
Well, that's another episode of Observations from Life. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out my website at www.obsfromlife.com. You can find information on past episodes, people who have appeared on the podcast, as well as a merch store. Until next time, this is Scott. Thank you so much for listening.